0: Uh, I have to begin with a confession. I'm a secret iPhone fan, and I'm feeling—I'm I'm feeling rather pleased with myself because I've recently got a good deal on the new iPhone 4S. And I, what I like about it is it's got all these clever gizmos. But the best gizmo is that you can talk to it this thing called Siri. There's a little man lives inside the phone. It's great. And you tell this little man what you want to do. So I can say things like call Steve Jones. And this really posh voice says, do you want me to call Steve Jones mobile or Steve Jones home? (laughs) And I'll say Steve Jones home. I'll call Steve Jones home for you. That's good because that's what I wanted. (laughs) Even better than that I can get it to send text messages for me. I can literally just say, tell Steve Jones I can't preach on Sunday morning. <laughs> and this message comes out all written out perfectly. You don't have to prepare it or anything. It says, I can't speak on Sunday morning, Mike. And then it says, do you want me to send this message? And I say, yeah, did you get it? <laughs> no, oh, okay. <laughs> It's great. I love it. I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm addicted to it. In fact, I was thinking after, really, Apple's phenomenal success with the iEverything, isn't it? iPod, iPad, iPhone. I, I felt that I was going to approach them with my latest um, idea because I felt there was a real opening in the market for them. And I would like them, actually, to start marketing iChurch. Because I think, I think that, that could be a pretty cool name, eh? You know, and like all of the, these Apple gizmos, it would be, uh, it would be good because it would feed the culture of our time. Because it's all about I. Well, technically, it should all be about me, as the grammatarians among you know, but me phone doesn't sound right, does it, somehow? <laughs> me church doesn't sound quite right either. You see, what I was thinking was, because I, I was reflecting a bit on this this week, ready for today, I thought, well, with, with iChurch, you'd be able to turn up when you liked to what you liked, how you liked, whenever you liked, because it would all be about you. And it wouldn't matter what the elders thought about it, because there'd be a facility that you could block them. <laughs> especially if they were giving notices and getting it wrong and making it worse by trying to explain it further. <laughs> you'd just have an app and you'd just block and you'd say, I don't, I don't want that. And I, I, the thing is, well, with I, I, I was thinking with iChurch, you could, you could really build it all around you and, and what you needed and your personal needs and requirements and all this love other people stuff. I mean, it's very inconvenient at times. And and when the leader says, why not use a few moments to turn to someone near you and say hello? And you're not really feeling up to it. You wouldn't have to do that. Because you could have an app that would exclude that as well. With iChurch, you definitely could have flexibility. I was thinking you could have pay monthly, pay weekly, or pay occasionally contracts. (laughs) And there would be no minimum contract period... Because we recognise that other providers are available, especially if there's something better on that week. (laughs) And we thought with iChurch, you'd definitely not be required to do anything that would inconvenience you or require the S word. Serving. Serving. That definitely wouldn't be in iChurch. Because, you know, we do recognise you've all got very busy lives in these days and you know we understand the pressures that you're under so I was thinking this could be great there's definitely a market for this iChurch thing until I, I went online and discovered there were quite a few already and then I thought well maybe rather than going online I probably ought to go to the Bible and just see what that thought about it and as I started reading up afresh this week and thinking what we're we going to talk about, I discovered that God really wasn't very interested in iChurch at all. What God really wanted was we church. <laughs> we church that is us and him. There's no such thing in the Bible as I church. There's only we church, which leads me into the title that I was given for today, Life in God's Family. Over the last few weeks, you've been looking at a number of things, most of which have looked sort of outwards and beyond ourselves quite rightly. But I was asked today to focus us back in on one of those three core values that we have as a church expressed in our big vision. Okay, examination time. B? Building, Building family. That's, this side was quite good. This side was dreadful. Didn't hear anything. And there's an elder sitting over there as well. <laughs> yeah. Building family. I? Igniting, Igniting, passion. Igniting passion. Or influencing students, if you were from the old generation like me. Igniting passion. And G? Yeah. Going to people wherever they are. Well, I was asked today, could we focus for today on the... B, because every so often you have to come back to things. It's a bit like the old illustration of the barrel, which many of you will have come across. It doesn't matter how much water you put in the barrel, but you will only ever fill the barrel to the height of the lowest plank. Um, What you find in church life, in fact, I find it in my life, that you sort of, you work on pulling a plank up a bit, you know, you have a good go at that, and then you discover there's the plank at the other side, not quite as high as it ought to be, and you you have to pull on that one a bit as well. So this morning, we're looking at the the B plank. We're looking at building family, life in God's family together. And I'm going to go to a well-known passage. I want us to look, please, at Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family and heaven and earth and derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That theme that came out this morning. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. (laughs) This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? For he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I wanted to read that passage this morning because it it brings together, well at least it does when you get rid of the break that the NRVs put into the text, It, it brings together the two key aspects, the very essence of what it means to be we church and why I church won't do the two simple reasons, that why I church won't do, first, because God is the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Our God is Almighty God, yes, but he's revealed himself as Father, Papa, as some of us nicely refer to him, and very biblically refer to him as well, Abba in the New Testament. That's not an image, it's not a picture, it is a spiritual reality, it is what God is like. He's he's nothing like the worst of human fathers and he's far better than the best of human fathers, but there is something in the nature of God that is a father, which is why Jesus again and again and again addresses him as Father God, Abba God. And because who we are, always flows out into what we do, God's fathering, fatherliness, always flows out into family. So the second reason why our church won't do is not simply because God is a father, because he could just be the father of you, but it's actually because this father wants a big family. Not because he's lonely, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit aren't sitting in heaven thinking, oh, blow, it's a Tuesday, what are we going to do today? <laughs> Chess? No, I did that last Tuesday. What are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. You know, like the vultures in Jungle Book. <laughs> he wants a family, not because he's lonely, but because his fatherliness just has to flow out. His fathering has to flow out of his very nature. So we find that the history of God's people in both Old Testament and New Testament is the history of God dealing with people to build them into a family. To build them into we church, not I church. Something that goes, oh, right back to Abraham, doesn't it? Right back to the beginning of the story where God begins his plan of restoration. Verses that many of you well know. Genesis 12, to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great, I, no, sorry. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, will be blessed through you. Then when he makes a covenant in chapter 15, just one verse, verse 5, he, God took Abraham outside and said, oh, we had this picture earlier as well, didn't we? Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. When he gives the covenant sign, circumcision, in chapter 17, verse 5, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, father of many, for I have made you father of many nations. The point is when God called Abraham, it wasn't for his sake. It wasn't for I sake. There's a we-sakeness about all of it. It's not just to bless him. It's not just to make Abraham an eye worshipper. It's not even to make Abraham into one nation, the I nation, Israel. But it's through that the passion of God is to reach out and reach out and touch people and see lives change and people becoming part of his great family made up of nations out of all the earth. And do you know, wherever you cut the Old Testament or the New Testament, wherever you cut it, this family imperative is always there. Yeah, God deals with individuals. God loves individuals. Of course He does. We know that. We've experienced that. The Bible's full of it. But it never stops there. He's never happy to let people say, Oh, good, I know you, near Lord. I, I could become an I church. It's always a we church is always calling his people to be people who find their true self in finding him and in finding one another, like Lynn's word earlier on in the meeting. No matter where you cut the story, that's how it comes across. Now, I actually want to read one story from the Old Testament that I. I just felt God underlined to me this week, so I almost preached from this passage, but then decided I wouldn't, and we just read the story instead. Numbers 32. Now, the story here is that God has freed the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, has led them out under the leadership of Moses. They've made their way down south to Mount Sinai, where he's made covenant with them, and Then, through disobedience, they've spent the next 38 years wandering around in the wilderness till the old unbelieving generation died out. And now, as we get towards the end of Numbers, they're they're perched ready to go into the promised land quite soon. They've taken some land to the east side of the River Jordan. And this is where the story picks up Numbers chapter 32. The Reubenites and the Gadites, those are two of the tribes of Israel, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead, east of the Jordan, were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eleah, Sebam, Nebo and Baon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock. And your servants have livestock. If we find favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and the Re- Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you s- discourage the Israelites from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land that the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those men, 20 years old or more, who came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the desert for 40 years until that whole generation of those who'd done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel if you turn away from following him, he will leave again all these people in the desert and you will be the cause of their destruction. And they came up to him and said, okay, we'd like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we're ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we've brought them to their place. Meanwhile, Our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. And Moses said to them, then if you'll do this, if you'll arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, And if all of you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he's driven the enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession. But if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. So build cities for your women and children, pens for your flocks, but do what you've promised. So the Gadites and Reubenites said to Moses, We, your servants, will do as our Lord commands. Our children and wives, flocks and herds will remain here in the cities of Gilead, but your servants, every man armed for battle, will cross over to fight before the Lord, just as our Lord says. And what have you got at the beginning of that story? What you've got at the beginning of that story is, in effect, I church. What, what can I get out of this? You know, and we've, well, we've been wandering through the desert for a long time. We found a place now that's really suitable for my herds and my flocks. That land east of the Jordan was, it was great pasture and Actually, I'd quite like to stay here. And the minute one person says that, the whole tribe ends up saying, well, I think you're right. Actually, this is a really good place that would suit as well. I church. Now, what was God's reaction to that? Actually, it was pretty fierce. He saw the attitudes of Reuben and Gad, and there was half the tribe of Manasseh involved as well in this story. He saw their attitudes as selfish, discouraging, and Bible's words, not mine, even rebellious. And he calls them a brood of vipers. Do you remember someone else who used that term? Jesus, about the Pharisees. Oh, all nice showy religion, but nothing underneath that's about church. Thank God the provocation that's brought to them made them realize how they slipped. They were getting into... I church, and they said, sorry, we've got it wrong, haven't we? Okay, what about if we come back here, but we will come and help fight with you first. We will help you take your land, and when you've taken your land, we'll come back to our land. How's that? And Moses says, spot on. That's exactly what we're looking for. That's we church. And there are times in any human family, let alone any church, When, do you know what, you have to do things that you'd rather not do. When my kids were little, some of the things that I had to do, (laughs) I'm embarrassed about now. No, I'm not doing it again. But that's what you do in, in a family. Do you know what, in a church family, there are times when the family is doing stuff, and if we're honest... I'm not asked for a vote, but if we're honest, there's probably all times when we think, I don't know if that's got anything to do with me. All, close your eyes. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. Have you ever, ever, ever felt like that in church? Nod now if you have. Okay, stop nodding. Good, you're like a bunch of Churchill dogs on the back of a... (laughs) Hey, here's a great example. School. Well, I haven't got kids. Well, I have, but they're all grown up and... Anyway, they don't live in this area, so when they have kids, it doesn't really affect me. So, you know, know, God bless you, Steve, but I'm too old for all of that. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not married and I've got nowhere near kids yet. And anyway, I'm only here three terms a year, and it's not got a lot to do with me. And this this is not about whether you give money to it or not, (laughs) to the school. It's about about for that and for a whole host of other things, whether we are I-church or we-church. And wherever you cut the Bible, I've just given you one story there. It's always about we church. And yet, do you know, God's so kind because he still cares for us as individuals. And the great nation of Israel, he breaks them up into tribes. And the tribes are divided into clans. Probably the, they call them missional communities today. <laughs> and their mission was to go and take their bit of the land. So, you know, God understands that, as well as the big thing, we need to be in smaller thing. but it's still about we. It's not about me. And if you're thinking, well, that's, you know, that's just that picture in the Bible, isn't it? A you know, picture of family. No, actually, wherever you look, here's a whole list that I pulled together um, earlier this week. Here are some pictures that the New Testament uses of God's people. They're all corporate. Branches of the vine. You need several branches and they need a vine to be part of God's field. A field is made up of soil and things that grow and it's it's more than one aspect to it. Church is described as God's building, made up of lots of bricks. You know, building's not just a roof. God's household, members of a household, all the different people who function in the household. God's temple, in which we are described as the living stones that make it up. God's priesthood, plural. God's workmanship, craftsmanship, different things put together to make something beautiful. God's army, not God's single soldier. Christ's body, Christ's bride. There's at least two people involved there, aren't there? And all those pictures, not just family, bring home this simple message. If you're serious about God, you can't have I church. You've got to have we church. It's part of the package. And I think all of us have to confess that at times there's something that cuts across definitely our culture, but also our human nature at times. Because how many of us know it's actually, do you know what? iChurch would be a lot more comfortable. I'd be a lot better off as well financially if I just had (laughs) iChurch. No, I wouldn't, because I believe in tithing as well. Yeah, amen. (laughs) They were ahead of me. IChurch could be a lot more comfortable at one level, a lot more convenient. You know, I wouldn't have to turn up here for half past ten ish on Sunday. You know, I could just sort of do church when I want to, just put my eye player on with some songs and it would just be me. I, I could be a bit more flexible with life. I could be a bit more pick and mix and I could be a bit more meet my needs orientated. <laughs> Such a dang shame that it's not what God wants. <laughs> so what does God want? Let's go back to that passage in Ephesians. And I want to go through quickly with you What characterizes a we church? Seven things, just going to highlight them from this passage. The first thing that characterizes a we church is it's a church where Christ is central. Christ, not me. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Your there is plural. You know, this is why things like, I don't know, corporate worship is so important, why it deserves our wholehearted attention, why it shouldn't be something we feel we can sit out of or. Drift into halfway through, because this is about us as a we people declaring that Christ is at the centre of all that we do. It's about making Christ central. Not me. I don't come to church first and foremost because I have needs today but because Christ deserves to be worshipped. The funny thing is, when we make him central, he has a way of meeting our needs. Second, Paul says a we church is a church where Christ's love is experienced in community. Did you know that phrase in verse 18? That Christ's love is something that can only be truly grasped together with all the saints. That is a really inconvenient bit. Why didn't he miss that out? Why can't I have God's river on my own? Why do you have to have all you pebbles in my river? <laughs> well, that's how God's planned it. That's how it's always been, that we should experience Christ's love in community together. We, church, allows us to both give and receive his love. Do you know, when you're feeling unloved, go and find someone to love. You'll be amazed at what it does for you. And I know it's the last thing that we feel like. I mean, often at the end of a meeting, if I end up praying for loads of people, you know, I feel really tired at the end. And there's always someone who comes up late and says, I was a bit frightened to come. Would you pray for me? And I want to slap them. (laughs) Really? Really? And everything in me wants to say, no, go away. You should have come later. I'm tired. And do you know what? And ever I go, of course, brother. <laughs> and come on, Lord. Do you know what? I always end up refreshed yeah. at the end of it. Of course, the, the devil tries to convince us in life that you're tired, you've had a hard week, why would you want to go out to that meeting there? Nah, you probably just need to chill. I know, I have those same battles. But when we make that effort of being in community together, whatever that community is, whole church, your student group, your missional community, but whatever it might be, there is something there about Christ's love being experienced in a way that it isn't. This is what we used to call one-anothering. Here's a list. I just picked out 20. 20 one-anothers in the New Testament. New Testament says, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Accept one another instruct one another, greet one another, agree with one another, encourage one another, serve one another humbly in love, bear with one another in love, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Admonish one another with all wisdom. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Have fellowship with one another. You got the message? It's all about one another. another. It's all about we church. Not I church, third. We church is a church where prayers are answered in immeasurably bigger ways. Verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Something happens when we come together to pray. I, I don't understand it, but there is a spiritual dynamic that gets released Jesus put it like this, when two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Well, is he he not with us when I'm on my own? Of course he is. But but there's, in the way God set up things, there's a spiritual dynamic that gets released when you pray with others. There's immeasurably more gets released. I, I sometimes wonder if it's to do with God breaking our pride. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but if you've ever tried to pray about something you want to change in your life, and you pray and pray and pray, and it it doesn't change. Anybody ever had that? Two, three, four, okay. (laughs) And you get this little voice in your head saying, why don't you get so-and-so to pray about it with you? Anybody ever experienced that? This little thought? Get your pastor to pray about it with you, get your mate to pray about it with you. And she said, No, no, you know, prayer on my own is quite effective. What that means is I'm too proud to say I'm struggling and I, I can't break through here. And when we share and break through, pray with one another, something happens. Something to do with the power of agreement that. Reflects that agreement of our Trinitarian God himself. Four. We church is a church. Where relationships are a priority. Verses one to three. Of chapter four. As a prisoner for the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble. And gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Interesting wording uses there. To keep the unity of the Spirit. It's like he's saying you've got a unity in Christ. Do you know what? Sometimes you have to fight to keep that unity. Have you ever experienced that? Husbands and wives? Yes. That's the closest unity and that's where it gets tested. You have to fight for it. You have to fight for it at times. Because relationships are a priority in God's family. They're not an optional extra. So when things go wrong, and they do, which is why Jesus teaches about it in Matthew 18, he says, you know, listen, if you're on your way to church one day and you suddenly remember that your brother's got something against you, do you know what? I think you would be better to go and sort that out first before you go and worship. That's how much of a priority relationships had to Jesus, because it gets in the way of what God wants to do. By contrast, I church lets me nurse my hurts and my grievances. How many of us have ever sat at home rehearsing a scene that happened? (laughs) And she said, and I said, and I should have said and I would have said and next time I said is that only me or the you, you waste on rehearsing this scene instead of going and saying, Keith, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's a lot quicker. It's the difference between I church. I church will kill you eventually. Six. Nearly there. Five. Just sing if you're awake. A church. Where oneness matters. Similar to the previous one, but slightly different emphasis. There in verses four and five. Just note in verses four and five the recurring word one. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I think his record's got stuck there, hasn't it? Call to oneness, what he's saying is your call to oneness is rooted in the very nature of God. This is what your daddy God is like, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God in three persons. And you live life at its best when you seek to maintain that oneness among yourselves. Doesn't mean we'll always see eye to eye on everything. Oneness is not always agreeing with every detail. But oneness is about knowing that God has called you to walk together in what he has given you. And that we'll throw our weight behind whatever it is, even if it's not to my personal advantage, like like the school. For the elders here, this is one of the biggest things they've done in a long, long time. And you've had meetings over, I don't know how long it stretched back when you first started doing it, but a long time, Steve, yeah? And this is the place where, the church and its leaders have come to, and it would be very easy to think, well, it's nothing really to do with me. Listen, you can at least pray, can't you? That's the very least that we can do as an expression of oneness, saying, if the church is going there, I'm going there with it. And, and, And when you've got your questions and your doubts, ask them along the way. This doesn't mean you've got to zip your mouth, and you never say, excuse me, I've got a really I've got a question I'm struggling with here, Steve. Can, can, can you help me with this? Oneness doesn't mean zip it. Oneness means find God's heart together in it. Six. It's a church where everyone plays their part in verses seven to eleven. Verse seven to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it to each one of us. It's not just some people who are called to serve. It's all of us in a we church. It's not just the pastor, the elders, the leaders, the missional community group leaders who've got a job to do. In fact, Paul says in the coming verses, their job is to equip the rest of us ...to do the job. There's a place for all of us. Wasn't your heart blessed this morning... ...when little Hannah came and gave that prophetic word? something in me really moved... ...when you see children... ...how old is she? Eleven. You know, when she comes out... ...and I said to her just... ...when we went out, I said, that was really good. I said, it's a bit scary to go out the front, isn't it? She said, yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, but good for you for doing it. Why? Because all of us can function. And little Hannah this morning refused to sit back as an 11-year-old because she felt God had given her something. God bless her for that this morning. God, bring something to her this week that will bless her socks out. That might not be on a Sunday. We're not just talking about Sunday. But we want a wee church where everyone has their place. You know, your place this morning might have been helping give out the leaflets when people came in and welcoming people. It might be in those smaller groups that happen sometimes on Sunday morning. It might be serving the tea and coffee. It might be in something completely different. But in a wee church, everyone ought to be playing their part, even if that changes with the seasons of life, which it does. And here's the last one. A wee church is a church where maturity and function Uh, always on the increase in verses 13 to 16 of chapter 4. I won't read it to save time. Paul's saying there, if you want to be a growing, mature, we church, we need to give uh, attention to two or three things there. The first is headship, he says. Christ is the head of this church. The second is connection. He talks about the body being joined and held together by every joint and ligament with which it is provided you know without joints and ligaments all we've got is an organisation Liz and I have been jointed to Keith and Eileen way more than the 20 years that I've worked here our jointing started when I was still a pastor in Manchester and I'd be the poorer without those joints where I can see when Things aren't quite right. You're a bit busy this week, Keith, you know. and I recognize the signs in my friends. And he can say, how are you doing then? Joints and ligaments. Who are you jointed to? Where are your ligaments? Who, who's your pastor? Who's those in your community group where you are giving yourself and getting back as you give yourself? Connection through these joints and ligaments that ensure a healthy body. How are your joints at the moment? Are they arthritic? not talking physically. We'll pray for you afterwards, if the answer is yes. Are there any dislocations? Headship connection function. The body builds itself up, Paul says, as each part does its work, should be no such thing as a non-functioning member of the body of Christ. Even as I've just said, even if that function changes with the seasons of life. You know, when a when a little one comes along, you know, God it doesn't have to throw your pattern of what you've done before. But there's still stuff that you can be engaged in. Because we're all meant to be players, not spectators, we church, not I church. So as I finish, as we've looked at the barrel this morning, the B plank building family um, is there some stuff in your own life that just needs hooking up a bit because it means the water level can't be as high as it wants to be and I just want to leave you with this last question what sort of church have you been part of recently maybe you've even drifted into it not bad heartedly maybe you've just got so involved in other stuff and even as I've said some of that list of seven things this morning you've thought hmm Plank needs hiking up there a bit. What sort of church are you part of at the moment? An I church or a we church? If there's pebbles in the stream, this morning's a really good time to get rid of them.